Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here by our host and star of this show, Bob Schaefer. This is Touch Em All, episode 432 on our network. Got a great guest for you today, guys, in a packed show. But before we get to, to Bob and our guest, just want to thank our audience, 65,000 and growing. We appreciate your support. Thank you for the nominations. We are now nominated as for Sports Podcast Group and the Webbies, two separate uh, governing bodies of podcasts have nominated our entire group for baseball podcast of the year. So two, two great honors. Uh, I promised everybody if we do win, uh, everybody gets to keep their awards though. We had a little, little faux pas in the media recently with something like that. We won't point any fingers, but also want to thank jaw bats, the newest baseball bat certified by MLB. We saw our very own Jeff Fry host a she gone, use it down in, in Red Sox fantasy camp, hit a double with his first at bat. So I know his bat's working well. My son Tanner's using his as well. M110 model, both lefty and righty says he loves it. So encourage you guys to use RVG at checkout. Uh, that'll get you a discount, not only on your, your great maple bat, but any of their apparel, a uh, great group of guys there. And also to our newest marketing partner millions, because we've reached a nice milestone with 65,000. We've got tons of sponsors wanting to get involved with our group. So millions now will be handling all of our marketing we appreciate their support and jumping on board with us. So with that, uh, Shafe, welcome back to your show. It's good to have you. Well, it's good to be back. And uh, we got another fine guest today, uh, Lou Maloney. A uh, little background with Lou. I first met him. He was the 10th round draft pick by the uh, Red Sox in 93. He joined the minor leagues. And uh, he's also one of my favorite guys because he's one of the most overachievers of anybody we ever had. Uh, he played second base, some third base. And uh, after seeing him play a couple of years, maybe three years, I think he was 27 before he got the big leagues, but he got there. But I went to Dan Duquette, the general manager, and I said, Dan, this guy, Louis Maloney, is a really good player. He doesn't have great tools, but he's a great player. He can help a team win. He said, well, he's not as good as the guy we had. We had a, a Latin kid. I said, yeah, but he can't, that guy, he can't, uh, he, he can run, but he don't want to stop. He gets on a base, he runs crazy. He can't get signs. I say he can't help a team win. But Louis is a baseball player that does a lot of good things well. He said, well, I don't think he can play short. So I said, I think he can. So I went to Louis. I said, Louis, we want to let you play shortstop at times. And Ken Maka was the manager in uh, Pawtucket at the time. I said, Ken, hit him a lot of ground balls at short. and play him a few games a week and see what happens. So I told Louis, I said, Louis, I was a shortstop. I didn't have great tools. But all you got to do is cheat in the hole a little bit and cheat in a little bit. Make every play a little bit easier. I don't expect you to make that spectacular play in a hole and jump and throw, whatever you got to do. Just make the routine play. But Louis was uh, – so I convinced Duquette that, okay, try it. Well, Louis, Louis was just a great player, a great teammate. Uh, he could do a lot of little things. He could hit and run. He can advance the guy from second to third. He can put the ball and play with two strikes, and it made a routine play. So he played all right at shortstop and good enough to be a utility guy. Sure enough, no more get hurt, and no more and Louis were best of friends. And I was accused no more of getting hurt on purpose so Louie could get to the big leagues. <laughs> but anyway, he gets to the big leagues. Jimmy Williams, God bless his soul. We're going to talk about him later. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, I'll put him at short. I think in a playoff game you play short, right, Lou? Yeah, yeah, ninety-nine. Yeah. So I mean, but Jimmy was outstanding, and 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 I said, Jimmy, you're gonna like this kid. He's a good baseball player. I mean, not an everyday guy. But he's a perfect utility guy. He come off the bench. He can pinch hit, which his record shows. He's a real good pinch hitter. Uh, he's not real fast, but he can run the bases. So it's like uh, Louis had a good major league career. He played with the Red Sox. Uh, he also played with uh, the Padres, the Indians, and the Angels, and also played in Japan. Uh, graduate from Providence College. He's in the Cape Cod Hall of Fame, which I am also, but uh, a little bit after my time, but uh, he was a lot old, uh, younger than me. But uh, after they got out of baseball, he co-hosted a talk show in Boston. He was very popular in there. And then he became a color analyst with the Red Sox TV and radio, right, Lou? Yeah, both of them. Yep, a little split. And he's got a great reputation on the radio. He's a great baseball guy. And the thing about good uh, guys, good, you know, broadcaster they explain the game they teach the fans about the game and louis knows the game as well as anyone he's a great broadcaster i know joe castiglione loves him as a partner and everything else so lou welcome to the show thanks shafe thanks dave i appreciate it um you know other than shafe obviously being a pain in the ass early in my career but no i'm just kidding he's <laughs> he's a good man i don't owe an awful lot to him see i was i was lucky like what he was talking about like i knew who i was you know i i knew what i needed to do um, and luckily for me, I had baseball guys that were around me that backed me. You know, I wasn't going to blow away a showcase. Uh, if you looked at exit velocity or whatever you want to look at, all the things they look at now, I wasn't going to blow anybody away, but I knew how to play the game. And with guys like, you know, Shafe that was down there, the coordinator in the minor leagues kind of believing in me because he was that type of guy, right? He, he wanted people to play the game the right way. And of course, like you mentioned, Jimmy Williams, my first manager, he was exactly that as well. Like he appreciated guys that just knew how to play the game. And, and like I said, I knew what my role was. And I think the fact that I could self-scout made me survive in this game uh, for as long as I did. Well, you said it best. A lot of players don't know who they are. They expect to be something else. Yeah. I mean, hit a home run here and there, and they think their home run here is. But but you know who you were, and you know what you can do, what you couldn't do. And uh, I remember one time, I don't know what year it was, but uh, you got upset about something, you went home. Yeah. It's like, I said, Lou, where are you? He said, I'm home. I said, what you doing at home? He said, well, I, I'm quitting. I said, no, you're not quitting, Lou. You get your ass back here. I'll give you two days, but get your ass back here. I called <laughs> Nomar. I said, Nomar, your buddy Louie went home. You got to call him. Tell him to get his ass back here. I said, you know, you can play in a big league someday. Just come back here, and I don't know what happened, what you're upset about, but just come back here and, and do what you do best, help a team win. Sure enough, he came back, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, you know, it was um, – I think that was like 96. I actually broke my wrist – my first week in, in uh, I think, in May. And you know how it is. Guys in the minor leagues, they worry so much about stuff they can't control. So I had a pretty good year in 95 in double-A. Nomar and I were there. I was kind of up the middle playing second and third with him. And then started the year in 96 in double-A. So I wasn't crazy about that. You know, minor leaguers, you think you should play, move, keep moving up. I was also 25 because I had signed at 22. I was a senior at Providence. So I broke my wrist. Um I, don't know, I think Mark was the manager of the trainers. I don't know. They want me to come back. The doctor was like, anyways, there was some confusion on the whole thing. And I was like, you know, what? I, this isn't going to work for me. And I think Nomar Shafe was actually rehabbing down there as well. He had done something. Yeah. And you would call me like, what are you doing? I'm like, that's it. And, and I, that really did change a lot for me, um, my, my career really, because I could have been home, but you guys you know, just come down. Let's have some fun. Let's relax for a few weeks, get back <laughs> into it. And, and it really kind of turned everything around because 97, was the year everything just sort of clicked. And I, I, I sort of started playing with a freedom of like, well, if this is going to be it for me, 
then I'm going to go out and play the game right. I'm not going to be afraid to make mistakes. I'm not going to play with fear. Um, and, and it kind of just elevated my game. And 97 took off, and then 98 I was in the big leagues. Yeah, well, like I said, you worked hard. You got where you're 27 years old before you got yeah. the big league. Yeah. And I use you for an example a lot of times talking to young guys who are struggling in the minor leagues. I said, I think Murray Wills was 27 before he got to the big leagues. But mm-hmm. there's some other real good players that took a while to get there. But once they got there, they're pretty good players. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's like, again, when you, when you come out, when you join the minor leagues, like I was 22 years old and we, you know, I started that first year in the Florida State League, uh, thankfully for Shafe, because I think they wanted me to start me down a little bit lower, but, um, on travel day, Shay told me to just get in the car and leave. And I actually wasn't supposed to, if you remember, right? DeMarlo was our manager. You just yeah. sent me on my way. And, and I don't know who it was. They're like, why is Maloney going to Florida State? Like, he was high A. And you, behind the scenes, kind of just threw me on that team and had a pretty good year. But yeah. you, you joined Pro Ball at 22, you know, unless you can get up there in a couple of years, you are going to be an older type of rookie, you know? Yeah, well... Yeah, I saw you play in spring training or whatever it was, extended spring, whatever, and I knew that you can handle it. And uh, sometimes, I have a problem with player development. A lot of times they hold kids back. If a guy's ready for it, let him go for it. Yeah. And, uh, again, the intelligence factor is what allowed me to send you up there because you knew how to play and what you're supposed to do, situations, you know, relays, cutoffs. You know, you knew the fundamentals. So it was easy for me to send you up there. The rest is just handling the pitching and stuff like that. But I knew you could figure it out. And uh, – yeah, it worked out good for you. Yeah, no, it did. And I don't know, I, I you know, I, I look at the game now because obviously doing a lot of these games and I just don't think enough like players right now in today's game, I guess the term like know how to play the game. You know <clears> what I mean? It's it's a talent filled thing. It's it's how hard can you throw? How far can you hit it? How fast can you swing it? Um, you know, it, it still blows my mind when I see some of these kids. Now, my kid's in 14 years old in eighth grade, so he's starting to get into this. And it's frustrating when you when you see a kind of a show, showcase for a shortstop and their velocity from short. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, what, yeah. why why are we crow hopping from shortstop? You're never going to make that play, you know, at short. But this is the way the game is. Me, when I was a kid, at 12 years old, I was learning how to straddle the bat. You know, I was learning how to put a butt down. You know, I was learning how to move a runner. I was learning how to run bases, you know. and And I try to do that you know, with my kid and his, his teams and things like that. But I just feel like that's missing. And, and without that, I never would have, I never would have got drafted. I never would have got past double A or even into double A if I didn't have that part of the game, just knowing fundamentally what to do and where to be. Well, that's one thing that uh, when I took over to minor leagues, Duquette came in and he said, I want you to do that. And I really want to scout again. So I want to get back to the big leagues as a coach. And yeah. I said, well, if I scout, I know the leagues. And no, if you do the minor leagues with, in a couple of years, I'll make you coach or maybe even manager here. That was the first lie you told me, but that's what we did. <laughs> so anyway, uh, but my biggest thing, I, I, I managed at every level in the minor leagues. I coached in the big leagues. I knew the game. I knew what it took at every level. So, you know, we had good coaches, and we all worked together. And, uh, you know, Ken Mockett, yep. I hired him. But there were a lot of good guys already there when I came in there. We sorted out a little bit, but, you know, like DeMarlo, he was in double-A managing. They lost about 40 games under 500. They, they buried him. So I'm moving back to A-ball, and tomorrow he still calls me boss to this day, but I said, tomorrow when I come around, I want your outfielders and your base runners to be the best of anybody in the league because you're going to get to the big leagues as a coach first and then hopefully manage it. Mm-hmm. And I still think tomorrow should be a manager in the big leagues, but for whatever reason, he's not. But anyway, but we had good coaches and teachers. Like 17 guys got to the big leagues that worked for me within those five years. And not that I did anything. I just talked to them about you know how to teach, how to coach, you know how to react to certain situations. And 
we had we had some great guys, and uh, they made the players a whole lot better because they knew they were getting good coaching, and the coaches knew how to teach the proper way. Yeah, I always say like that first team I was on in '94, Florida State League, like that was to me like a dream team, right? Like I'm my first full season in the minor leagues. I got Demarlo Hale as my manager, which I agree with you. He should have been a manager for five, six, eight years already in this league. He's he's one yeah. of my favorites in the game. Uh, if you remember, like our, my hitting coach was Rico Petroselli. Yeah. who my mom loved because we're from Boston and he was Italian. I don't think that hurt at all. But um, <laughs> so he's my first hitting coach out there, shirt off Florida state league throwing to us in the, in the heat, but, but kind of, he was like teaching more of like a mental approach, right. Of just kind of battling and being aggressive, and getting in that box and competing. It wasn't necessarily mechanics as much as it was the mental side of it. Uh, and then our pitching coach was Al Nipper, who <laughs> I think set the record getting tossed in the first half of the season in the Florida State League. He was a, a couple times. He is a maniac. But, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better staff. You know, I mean, and that's the thing. You kind of – and I moved up with some of these guys, and then Mock I had later on as well. So, you know, you the coaches you brought in, you know what I mean, had a lot to do with a lot of those guys having the careers that they had. Yeah, well, you know, when I first took over, we had Steve Braun, Jim Rice, yeah. and uh, Rico. I said, Rico, what do you do? He said, I travel around, see all the teams. Oh, and I said, Jim, what do you do? I travel around, see all the teams. I said, Steve, what do you do? I travel around, see all the teams. I said, well, first of all, that's not going to work. You're going to have three guys in, not going to tell everybody the same thing. So I went to Rico and I said, Rico, you know what? I have some good players in, in Sarasota and I need a good coach. I think you'd be perfect down there. I'll let you go home whenever you want as if you're a traveling secretary, as you were a traveling uh, instruction, you know, like instructor, roving instructor, whatever. And I told Jim Rice, I said, you go to double A AA and triple A because, you know, Jim, I figured he could help the mental part of it. Yep. And Steve Braun was very good fundamentally yep. with the mechanics. So I put him in the lower levels. So it worked out good. But uh, Rico was a great guy. I mean, tremendous. He accepted the fact he's going to stay in Sarasota. I think he liked Sarasota, but I still gave him the opportunity to go home when he needed to go home. So it worked out perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good group. I mean, Nomar was on that team, right? Yeah, Nomar showed up. Uh, that was the year he was drafted. Right. And, um, boy, that was funny too. Cause he, the day actually he signed, we were in, uh, we were playing the Dodgers and we had problems with them all year long. I think, you know, we had had a bench clear and brawl already with them. And Nip before the game was, Al was talking to like our closer, like you're coming in this game, no matter what, and you're dropping them. And I think it was Paul LaDuca. <laughs> um, but Nomar had signed that day. And as you know, like we, he wasn't officially on the roster, but he was on our bench. And, you know, yeah. Vero Beach, it's like right there with the stands and the fans are right behind you. And I remember DeMarlo being really worried and talk, trying to talk Nip out of it. And he's like, listen, we can't have a bench clearing brawl. We got our first round pick. He's not in the roster. If he goes out in the field, they're going to arrest him because it's like a fan. <laughs> yeah, right. So yeah. Nip's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Nothing will happen. But the eighth inning, he calls down. We're, you know, we're up nine to two. He calls to the closer to come in and drop Leduca in the very first at bat. So, oh, of course, the bench is clear. And Nomar's sitting on the bench, and the trainer's sitting there with him, and he's, like, standing up in front of him, won't let him go. So we all understood why, but we gave Nomar so much shit for about two weeks about this first-round pick, number one overall, doesn't have our teams back. Like, you know, we were having fun with him. But uh, that was it. I think he called home and was like, Dad, a pro ball's kind of crazy. Like, it was the first game he had seen. We got some crazy bench clearing ball. Nick didn't well, care. I'm glad he didn't know about that. But uh... – <laughs> Some things I knew about, some things I didn't. But Nick, Nick was great. I mean, he was he was fiery and yeah, uh, yeah he was a red ass. But that was good. He was a good teacher and you know good coach. Yeah. And 
Yeah. You know, he, he, he disciplined the guys like everybody else did. So it was a good time. Yeah, it was. It's a good group. So let's talk about Jimmy. Yeah. You know, Jimmy's one of my best friends. I, when I took over, or when he came in as a manager, he calls me and says, Shafe, I don't know you, but I want to go down to spring training and see what we got down there. You know, the layout of the fields and stuff. So, yeah, I came over and we went down there to talk to him. We hit it off right away. I knew him. I didn't know him. You know what I mean? I knew who he was. Yeah. I coached against him when he was coaching. <clears throat> but I didn't know that much about him. But we talked fundamentals. You know, we became great friends after that. He used to come to my house during spring training at night, cook out. You know, we used to smoke them and smoke the same thing. Winston's, we drank the same things, doors. Yep. <laughs> and he'd come in the house. We'd talk baseball all night. My wife said, I'm going to bed night, so I can see you. But I don't know how long we were up. Many times, you know, he slept over and everything and then go to game and go to ballpark the next day. But, uh, you know, Jimmy was just a great fundamentalist. He was one of the best teachers in the game. Yeah. And that's why I think he's a very good manager. You know, it was a sad day. I called him one day. I, you know, uh, Chris Cranny was a tr- trainer. He called me. He says, Jimmy just got the boot. I saw I said, I called Jimmy. I said, what's going on? I said, I just got shit can. Duke had got me. Yeah. And it was like, it was too bad because Jimmy was perfect for Boston. He was a baseball guy. He told the truth. He told her how it was. I think the people up there really liked him a lot. But somehow Duquette's ego got in the way and he, he canned him and brought in uh, Joe. Uh, Kerrigan. Yeah. The biggest disaster in Red Sox baseball. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. I'll let you, but I'll talk about it. <laughs> well, I, heard what you, I heard what you said, Tom. He oh. said to you, and I, I knew it. All this stuff came out of his mouth. It was Duquette's thing. He said, when he had a first meeting, tell me if I'm wrong. He said, okay, nobody's swinging the first pitch. You've got to take a strike. Yeah. Uh, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not swinging 3 0, stuff like that. And I guess you went to him and said, hey, Joe, I like to swing at the first pitch. He said, well, no, nobody's swinging the first pitch. He said, Joe, I'm hitting like 240. And the first pitch, I'm hitting like 350. So if I yeah. don't swing at the first pitch, I'll be hitting 180. <laughs> Is that what yeah. you said? Something like that. Yeah, no, that was that was basically. I think it was Nomar and Carl Everett were the only ones, uh, and Manny. I think you know, but like I'm sitting there and I'm like, listen, I'm a utility infielder. I got no pop. You know what I mean? When I do play, you're hitting me eighth and ninth. I'm like, if you're a pitching coach, how would you approach me? I would get ahead with what fastball out or half. Thank you. Well, that's what that's what I'm looking for, right? So that that's how I'm surviving in this game. I'm a fastball hitter. I could never hit a breaking ball, but I learned how to lay off one and not miss the fastball. So. Like we had that discussion. I remember we were in Cleveland facing Cologne. And this is like Cologne, you know, late 90s Cologne, not 90s sinker Cologne that he was later in his career. Yeah. And, and, you know, I get up there at 1-0. I got to, oh, I got to take. It's 1-0. I feel like I can hit now. I take 2-0 and look down. I get the take. And I'm like, what the hell are we doing? 2-0 take. This is the big leagues. You know, this isn't, you know, I mean, no one's on base. It's like whatever. And yeah. so I take. It's it's 2-1. I get the swing. 3-1. I get the take again. 3-2. I got to take 3-1, and it runs to 3-2, and I end up getting struck out on the, you know, little something that he painted on the other half, and I was bullshit. Next at bat, yeah. similar situation. And so 1-0, I don't look down there anymore, and I hit a double, score, run, RBI, off Cologne, left center to Jake. And I come in, everyone's high-fiving, and he's like, hey, I gave you the take. And I'm like, I didn't see it. I didn't hear it. And this was like an ongoing discussion. I'm like, I, I'm a fastball hitter with no pop. If you don't let me swing fastball 0-0-1-0-2-0-3-1, then just get rid of me, right? Like, what am I even doing? So it was uh, it was an interesting couple of months. I would definitely say that when Jimmy was fired. You know, one of the things I think that kind of annoyed us as a team, I remember, I'll never forget this, because we were in spring training that year. And, you know, ESPN does the whole, like, spring training, kind of uh, one day with the Red Sox, one day with the Yankees, whatever it was. And we were, we were all in the clubhouse, and – it was the day with the Red Sox and we saw this interview and Kerrigan gets up there and he starts talking about how we're no longer going to use the slide step. 
because it takes, you know, two or three pitches mechanically to find your mechanics and it just kind of ruins us. So we're not going to, we're not going to slide step all year long. And so Tech and Mirabelli, they're sitting there, you know, like, what are we doing? And it was, it was a track meet. Like, it was a track meet. People were just taking off left and right, no slide steps, just big leg kicks, whatever. The day that Jimmy Williams got fired in that press conference, one of the first things Joe Kerrigan said was, we're going to do a better job controlling the run game. Yeah. As, as if it was Jimmy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it, everybody was like, wow. Just throwing him under the bus there, right? Because we all knew it was his idea. He was talking about it. He was telling everybody about it. It was yeah. bad. No, he's a backstabber. And, uh, but, you know, the cat wanted those spies around him. That was his MO. He had yeah. guys in my leagues. I knew who they were, but I didn't care because I did what I wanted to do. And if they tell Duquette, that's fine. They, he finally got me, but it was like uh, like that year that uh, you're in instruction league, I think. And we mm-hmm. played in your squad a lot of times because some teams were going to strike. They weren't going to have uh, instruction league. So we played in your squad and we made it very competitive. Yeah. And the thing is, the way we did it, you know, pitchers had two innings. In one inning, you got to just throw like fastballs with a man at first, see how many outs you could get. Next inning, you throw you some breaking balls, but you couldn't, you know, you throw one or two definitely when you tour your pitches with a man on third base and less than two outs. So the pitchers trying to get out of the inning without the run score, and the hitters trying to get the run in from third, you know, hit a long fly or, you know, ground ball through the infield or whatever, but don't strike out. And we they guys learn how to play the game. Yeah. But Duquette didn't understand it. But I said, no, they were teaching guys how to play the game, how to win the game. And he had, he had a spy down there, one of the trainers was a spy. And he, you know, so Duquette knew everything was going on down there, but I didn't care because we had fun doing it. It was yeah. very competitive, and guys got better. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it, it's, it's funny, too, because um, I don't know how your experience is with him now, but since I kind of left the game and he sort of got out of Boston, Baltimore, and done, I've you know, come in contact with Dan on different occasions. And sometimes I just want to be like, why weren't you like this when we played? You know, like, yeah. Yeah, I think he's more conversational. Um, I felt like when he, when I was a player, he would just come in a room and shake your hand and stare at you. And he wouldn't yeah. say a word for like 30 seconds. And you're just like, oh, my God, what what is he thinking? What is going on? This is the most awkward, you know, situation I've ever been in in my life. And I think a lot of people felt that way. And now all of a sudden I see him and, and he's very talkative. And um, But, yeah, back at the time, it was it was about skill. Right, it was more about skill than actually baseball. So I can find this guy's really fast. Like I felt like that. Those are the years we drafted a lot of kids that turned down football scholarships to come yeah. and 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 play baseball and try to turn them into baseball players, but they weren't. They were no, just they, athletic, you know. Yeah, tools, but they didn't have any skills. They yeah. could run, but they didn't know how to run the bases. Right. Yeah, that's it was, tools just, it was tools. Yeah, it was just like it was like you got a great arm. He's got great power. He can run real fast. And it was like, yeah, but he, he can't get on first. He can't steal first. Like I, you know, and it's, it was, uh, he throws the baseball, but he doesn't know where the hell it's going, you know? So. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, Duquette and I, I don't, I, I don't care if I ever see him again because he did, he did me wrong. He did Jimmy Williams, Williams bad. He did the other guys. He ran Mo Vaughn out of town. He ran Roger out of town. Yeah. And even good no more, no more was gone by, I mean, he was gone by the time no more got run out of town, but, but he was just, uh, it's too bad because I tell people that Dan Duquette had more, uh, knowledge, more experience running player development, running scouting departments. And he was a brilliant baseball guy, but his personality, he just rubbed people the wrong way. Yeah. And uh, he just wanted to be with Dan Duquette Red Sox. And uh, I don't know, he accused me of stuff that's completely wrong, but you know, he had to get rid of me because I was getting too much credit for the minor whatever it was. But when he, when he was with Baltimore, I very, I tried, you know, I was scouting then and I tried to avoid him every chance I could. And uh, I just, I had a bad feeling for the guy, and it's too bad. But uh, I don't know where he is now. But uh, 
you know, I'm glad to hear him. Somebody else told me he's changed since he was with Red Sox. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. But, Lou, I've got a question for sure. you. With, um, you obviously experienced Bob, and I, I've, uh, I, I get smarter every week throughout the week at the age of 50 talking baseball with Bob, yeah. just, just a brilliant baseball mind. And then now you're seeing it from the broadcast booth, this, this generation of players coming through and you're experiencing at the young age with your, with your children, mm-hmm. what things that you learned from Bob and Jimmy Williams and, and things that you promote as a player, are you not seeing in the game today with the young players and even further down the ladder with maybe your kids uh, coming through the, la- the, the line right now? Well, I think I've never seen base running worse than it's ever been in my entire life. And nobody, cause nobody teaches it. Like everybody just wants to, uh, you know, see the exit velocity in a swing. Um, they don't teach you how to hit. They teach you how to hit the ball hard. And there's a big difference. Um, they don't teach you what to think about two strike approach. I don't think any of these so-called hitting gurus have ever talked about two strikes approaches until you start seeing maybe a big leaguer put a video out there. Um, defensively it's just like you know cutoffs and relays and all of it like fundamentals of fielding a ground ball it's more about how hard can you throw it so i i feel like the fundamentals of the game base running is atrocious like it is absolutely atrocious like i don't know how many times calling games at the big league level i see men on second ground ball to shortstop in the hole and they get thrown out of third base by three feet yeah. I, I i i don't even know how to explain it like i don't and, and, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, <laughs> I mean, this is the big leagues. How are we not learning that in A-ball? And I think one of the things that I heard actually from some college coaches that, you know, college is now spending time teaching kids how to play the game. And then at the pro level as well, they're spending more and more time of, they, they need to spend more time trying to teach kids how to play. Because by the time they get them, they're nothing but tools. They're, they're nothing but exit velocities and pitch velocities and vertical movement and horizontal movement, but they don't know how to pitch. They don't know how to hit. They don't know how to run the bases. So it's like the fundamental of the game um, is can be tough to watch, even at the big league level at times. Well, another fundamental I think is the worst is sliding. Oh. I know when, I was, when we did it in the minor leagues, we had you know, four, four bases out there. We do it straight in, bent leg straight in, do a hook slide, and we do a – you know, pop up slide, and we do a backdoor slide at home plate. But you know, I seen guys even when I was coaching with the Dodgers, guys didn't know how to slide, and so I took some guys out in the outfield and learn on wet grass or it's thick grass anyway. That's how you learn how to slide. But you see guys are diving now because they can't slide. Yeah, it's very dangerous to dive into a base. But that's the that's the way they do it now. Which is somebody's got to teach them the proper way of doing it so they don't get hurt, and plus they're safe more often than not. I mean, yeah. you slide over top of the base and, and go past the base and. With the bigger bases, it's it's slowed down a little bit, but uh, you know, sliding is is it's terrible. Yeah, you know another thing too, shape that I saw this year, especially with this Red Sox team, because defensively, you know, they weren't a very good team. But at the big league level, whether you're a rookie or somebody five years in the game, they're trying to teach pre-pitch movement at the big league level. You know, yeah. like like like, uh, and and the kid, Christian Casas, is a great hitter, and and you know I think he got better as the year went on, and he's a rookie, so as rookie you kind of learn and and you always improve. But he had hit his like right foot out front, left step hop, and he, when he hopped, he actually hopped backwards. Oh, really? A couple inches. Like, yeah. So there was this negative movement. So when the ball was hit, he had to stop momentum going back to go forward, or his momentum was back, so he couldn't go side to side. Now that got better. That was worked on. And and it was nice to see it get better, but I'm like, how do you get to the big leagues doing that? 
You know what yeah. I mean? How, how is that not taken care of in A ball, double A, triple A, and um, and others as well? Like they're trying to get Rafi kind of moving his feet a little bit more. Devers, you know, yeah. pre pitch and being a little bit more on his toes and ready and not be flat footed. I'm like, this is you know, this is the big leagues, and these are the things that we're trying to have to coach during the day. It's all about practice techniques. I mean, you remember in the minor leagues we had like you know four hitting groups. One group was hitting, another group was on deck, another group was on the bases. Yeah, and uh, another group's in the field. But when you're in the field, the infielders took balls off the bat as yeah. well as some bungles, but took balls off the bat. So now you work on your first step quickness. You know, everybody has a different way of loading up, so to speak. But you work on it. You work it off the bat. But you got to take, you got to practice live. So you take it off the bat. And the base runners react live off the bat. Like man on <laughs> second base, like you said, ball in front of you. You got to go back. Yeah, you know? and you know what's amazing too with that, like like um, like Jackie Bradley Jr. was here at center field, and still a great center field, like just defensively outstanding. And right. everybody made such a big deal about his power shag during BP, like it yeah. was extraordinary, like it was something they'd never seen before. And I'm like, wait a minute. During batting practice, he's in center field, being a professional, taking his job serious, and getting reads off the bat and going at it full speed. They're like, yeah, isn't that amazing? I'm like, no, it's the norm, or at least right. it should be. You know what I mean? Like, what else would you be doing? So it's right. – and, and I give him credit for doing it because others apparently don't. But I'm like, I mean, what else What else would you do? I, 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 that's why I don't understand. The, well, like that's why you said you're great outfielder. He took it yeah. off the bat. He practiced. He knew how far he could go to catch it. He, he knew where the wall was. And that's what it's all about. I mean, uh, Ken Berry was my outfield coach and hitting coach and, you know, second coach my manager in Greensboro my first year. And Kenny was outstanding. He'd go out there with the outfielders and kind of, you know, challenge them who's going to get a better jump, him or them. Right. They practice it. But it's, it's practice. I mean, you got to practice the right way and practice game speed the best you can. And that's how you become a better baseball player. And, and you know, you talk about that, too. Like, that's one thing that I felt like in hindsight – I remember feeling so different taking ground balls on live BP than fungos. I mean, fungos is good for repetition and form and confidence and everything else. But live BP is the spin off the bat. Live BP is the top spin. Is is you know fisted ball with spinner sometimes off the cue off the end. Like those are the those are the game balls, right? So it's like, man, I, I wish I spent more time doing that because it's like you take ground balls off fungos all day long you get tired you might take five or ten you know full speed and bp and be like okay that's good <laughs> and it really wasn't like that's where you should be taking more of them because that's right. the true game atmosphere right well the fungos you know it works in your technique and your yeah. rhythm and so forth but like you said the ball hit off the bat is different than a fungal yeah but seeing the ball but getting a first step jump jump on a ball you know reading the bat reading the guy you know Hitter opens up, so I'm going to pull the ball and stuff like that. But that's stuff that with repetition, you can learn it. And good infielders get a great jump off the bat. And that's, you got to practice it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that is one thing, too. And that's what the whole, like, you know, if you're stationary or flat footed or negative movement in your hop, you know, pre pitch, yeah. it's like, and you, that it's that half a step. If you don't get that half a step, you can now catch the ball in the wrong spot, you know, the wrong hop. You, you, you're in no man's land. And that turns into, well, that was a bad hop. Yeah, I know, but he also created it, right? He created it because he didn't have the angle or, or things like that. And that's that's the tough part for me, too. When I call games, it's like, I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, yeah, like you were a gold glove infielder. I'm like, no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't an all-star. That doesn't mean that I don't know, you know, what plays should be made at this level and which plays aren't, right? Like. Yeah. And it's not just routines. There's there's above average plays at a big league level that need to be made. 
you know, the outstanding one I get, that's just a special talent, but it's above average, like dives, you know, coming up and throwing guys out or, or hard hit balls, like, like a line drive off a guy's like glove, like, you know, at third base, like, and it's right in front of his face. That needs to be caught. Like, I know it's coming off the bat 108, but that needs to be caught at this level, you know? Yeah. So it's, but, but not, you know, knowing you weren't like this gold glove defender, people have an issue with that, but I don't, I mean, cause it's, I played at the level. I've seen guys that are better than me. I know what kind of plays need to be made. Um, and that's just kind of the way it is. It's the greatest in the world. And, you know, I always said that, you know, when I started scouting, my thing was people say, what do you look for? I said, I look for a guy that can help a team win. Yeah. I don't, I look the stats. Everybody always like the stats, but the thing is some guys hit 250 can help you win. Some guys hit 300. You can't, you can't help you win, but little things like playing defense, getting a jump on a ball, throwing to the right base, <clears throat> you know, throwing the ball is cuttable. All kind of stuff is what you have to do. But like you said, it's like I don't think the coaches nowadays, I've been coaching 12 years now, but I wasn't afraid to talk to a kid or a player and say, look, this is what you got to do. At first they think I'm picking on them or whatever. And uh, But it, my job is to make you better. I can't make you better, but I can tell you how you make yourself better. But if I see you doing something wrong, I'm going to point out to you and say, look, you got to do this, you got to practice that and so forth. And Manny Ramirez was a good example. We get him in L.A., Mm-hmm. Manny came over here without the great reputation of fielder, <clears throat> which he was deserved, but uh, he didn't have a lot of confidence out there. So, yeah, one day he messed up a ball in left field, and he comes in. And I start, I just laugh at him. I said, "What the hell are you doing?" He like, ah, you know, I said, just be out here tomorrow at three o'clock. We'll work on it. So he was out there at three o'clock. I hit him balls down the corner. He went and got it, picked him up. You know, surrounded a little bit so he could throw to second base. But, but Manny worked at it. He just didn't want to be out there when the game was online because he didn't have a lot of confidence in his fielding. But at least he worked on it. Yeah. So he couldn't knock him for that. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's, I tell you, he worked. I saw most of it, you know, offensively in the weight rooms and things like that. But he, yeah, he, he was a great worker. You know, it's funny you, you mentioned you talking a little earlier about helping the team win because I always, I talk about that a lot, you know, because, you know, every hitter is going to go through a slump. So me, it's like, okay, it, during that one for 25 slump that everyone's going to go through, how do you help me win a game? Right. You know, like, whether if it's a defensively, whether it's you know, base pat, whatever it may be, how do you help me win it? And that's even the same thing on you know, on the pitching side of it. It's like, listen, you're not going to have 32 money starts, you know. So when you don't feel it, you know, can you give me one more inning? You know, can you can you kind of you know, put it aside? You got banged up in the third inning. You've given up four or five runs. Can you get me five? Can you get me into the sixth? Can you regroup because? That's helping me maybe not win that game, but it's going to help me win the next game, right? Because my bullpen's not worn out. May help me win a game down the road, save an arm, whatever it may be. So that that's something that I look now, I see a lot of guys, and I'm like, you know what? If this guy doesn't hit a home run today, there's no way for him to help this baseball team. He does nothing else. Yeah. Well, no more I talked about and Dave about the, the rule changes. And yeah. I hate the rule changes. Second base, we can't, you know, take out, make a double play. You, know, you can't turn, can't take yeah. the uh, infield out, you know, to break up a double play. I mean, again, there's a guy in the hole for 25 slump. He breaks up a double play, keeps the inning going. You win the game. So, you know, he had a lot to do with winning the game. And also an infield, you take the skill away because, you know, turn a double play a second, you turn, turn it. You got to jump in the air and get out of the way. If you get knocked down, you won't you won't get hurt because you're in the air. So right. you're not going to get hurt. But now anybody can play second base. You can plant your feet, lock your legs, and throw, and they can't hurt you. Yeah, so, and, yeah. No, I I um I don't like that either. You know, and I, I I get I guess I get why they do it, but 
Um, like you just mentioned, that's one area for, for me. Like, first off, I would be willing to stay in there. And I learned enough, even though I wasn't the quickest thing in the world, of, of like, as you said, use your footwork, but, but make sure my legs weren't planted, right? To make sure I'm up in the air. So when he does hit me, I'm already throwing the ball. I can flip over and, and save myself. And it's like, now it's like, if I was to compete for a guy to play second base, he can't turn a double play. I can. I lose that skill because, right. you know, because now he can do it easily because he's got bad feet. So, but th- those days were, you know, as a second baseman, I'll never forget my, my rookie year. I was down in Texas and Will Clark was at first and that for the, for the Rangers. And I love Will Clark as a you know, kid growing up old school with the Giants. And he's on first base. I'm at second. I think there's like a meeting on the mound. Pitching coach came out. And I'm with Nomar standing by second base. I'm playing second. And Will starts yelling, hey, Lou, hey, Lou. And I look over and I'm like, is Will Clark yelling at me? And he's like, I think so. I look over. He's like, I'm going to knock your ass into left field. And I remember thinking, I was like, Hold. first off, like Will Clark's talking to me. Second of all, I'm looking at him going, man, you ain't getting down this line quick enough to get me. You know what I'm saying? Because he's not the fastest guy in the world. Yeah. And I didn't know the reputation of Will Clark at the time. I was a rookie and didn't know much about it, but he gets everybody. He freaking, he hit me maybe harder than anybody. And I kind of one hop at the first. I don't know if the guy was safe or not, whatever. And he gets up and he's like, gotcha. And and I was like, how the hell does this guy, but you know, he, you mentioned things to do to help win the games. He wasn't the fastest guy in the world, but he knew how to run bases. He knew where to slide. I talked to him this year out in San Francisco and he was talking about that and what he would do. And he's like, I used to watch. He's like, I probably watched you. I guarantee it. I go out there and watch you guys turn double plays. And I would see if you're a come across the bad kind of guy, if you were a step back kind of guy, if you were a step towards left field, throw the ball kind of guy. Like, I wanted to see where you were comfortable turning to. So going into that game, I just knew. Like, you might have been right over the bag, but I would slide in because I knew you were coming over at some point, and I would time it and get you. Like, these are the little things that don't really happen or aren't allowed to happen at second base within the game that makes it fun. Yeah. Well, I know Chase Utley used to step back all the time. Yeah. And to me, that's not the right technique because the ball no. travels a little farther. But what we know when we play the Phillies watching them that, you know, that's how he does it. So you get to slide that side. I mean, normally you slide to the side that the ball is hit. Like the second baseman used to come across. Yeah. Or stay, you know, near the base. But, uh, but those are little things, you know, again, techniques, but uh, skills that you, uh, you look for. And, uh, you know, good baseball players, smart baseball players can take advantage of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He was, was a second baseman, so he knows about getting taken out and everything like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was telling when, when we had Nomar on last week that I was doing a clinic for kids. And, you know, I'm 50 years old, so it's been, uh, you know, 25 years since since I played professional baseball. And I was doing my hop just instinctively. Second baseman, that's, that's self-preservation. And outside of my two boys, nobody else knew what the hell I was doing. They were like, why is he jumping like that? <laughs> and I was like, so, you know, and I, and I just explained to him and, and show him, but it makes me, uh, yeah, it's kind of, kind of sad to watch because sec- that was a rite of passage right there. That was a, a toughness, uh, an intelligence part to second base that's kind of mm-hmm. lost right now. Are you seeing guys out there, Lou, at all? I mean, po- point to some guys that you're seeing that are doing things th- the way you would like them to be done uh, as you're, you're sitting as an analyst. Is there anybody out there that kids can look to? Right now to say this guy, like you said with Will Clark, this guy's doing it the right way. Lock in on him. Well, I would say like, you know, the time that I've, for the Red Sox, as far as running the bases go, um, I know he's been hurt and banged up a little bit, but Trevor's story um, to me is athletic, aggressive. Like he knows, he helps you win games on the base paths. 
Um, even though defensively, I think he's he's solid. You know, and very good at shortstop and outstanding at second. But um, running the bases, like that's kind of like that. You know, when they always say like you, you, I need effort from you. I want you to hustle. Like the only thing that means is running the bases, right? Like I just I want to see you get after it. You know, and and when you look around the game, you see guys sort of give up on that. I was really disappointed this year. Like Altuve a couple times, like ground balls. He barely made it down halfway down the line. He he quits so many times going down the line. So unfortunately, Dave, it's almost like I get disappointed more than I get excited. You know, yeah. when, when you watch these sort of things. I mean, Shay, do you remember, like, I remember, like, Nomar's first couple of years in the big leagues. You know, he had some injuries there. This calf always is an issue for him. And I remember one time, like, Dan, I think, called him in or had something to Rice. He told Jimmy to tell him to stop running so hard to first. You know, yeah. and, and part of that was self-preservation. I get it. But it was like, that. he's like, no, I can't. Like, that's, I'm sorry. You yeah, know, so like, you're when, yeah. when I hit the ball, I have, to, I, have, I have to run as hard as I can. Like, I, I only get four of these a game, five of these a game. It's not that hard. And well, that mentality's lost. That's why there's so many injuries, too, especially leg injuries. Guys don't run enough. They don't throw enough. They don't run enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you watch guys. How many teams take batting practice on the field, which is batting practice and fielding practice and base running practice? Probably not too many anymore. They'll hit the cage, right? Yeah, a lot of teams hit the cage. You know what they do now with infielders? They don't take ground balls during batting practice. They do it kind of before batting practice. So they get out there and, and they almost have like their, like, like a spring training infield, right? Hitting fungos both sides of the field. So during BP, they don't they don't really take any ground balls. And in the cage, um, there's guys on the field. They still take field BP, but there are more and more guys that just like to take it in the cage because they, they you know they they feel like if they're on the field, they 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 become like home run happy. You know they want to see how far the ball goes, so they more like want to work their swing. But to me, it's like if you're afraid to step in the box and be home run happy, and you don't do it during BP, what are you going to be like when you step in there in the first pitch? You know, right. like, it's just, I, I don't know. There's some, but hey, everybody's a little bit different. Well, when I was in Kansas City, we had a young team. So we came out before BP or start before BP. We had mass ground ball drill. So yeah. everybody got ground balls at two of the bases. It took us like nine minutes to get, yeah. everybody got a lot of ground balls. And it was a conditioning thing as well as a technique thing. And once the game, once BB started, they took them off the bat. So it worked out well that way. And, uh, you know, with fungal being hit and runners running, you know, it was a chance of, you know, a guy getting smoked with a you know, fungal when he's watching the guy off the bat. Because, I mean, there's a good fungal hitter. You don't hit it when the ball's being hit off the bat. Same time you do in between pitches. But anyway, the mass ground ball drill was really good. And uh, you got a lot of ground balls and you did a lot of throwing. And then once, it, you know, BP started, like I say, you just took him off the bat, worked on you. Actually, I had him come on the grass. So you get a little quicker jump and uh, work it that way. But uh and it was, it's a technique of coaching that I don't see it too much anymore. I think a lot of times a coach is maybe afraid to piss off a player or something. Because now he goes to the agent, agent goes to the general manager, and all of a sudden, the, you know, the coach in trouble. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't want to say, like, the coach, the managers aren't teachers of the game, you know, because I think you got a guy here in core, I think, teaches the game. Um, I don't know if that's less important. I feel like communication has become – one of the most important factors for a manager to be successful, being able to communicate to these players, I think more and more different types of personalities, you know, um, that you have to relate to, that you have to get to. So it's like, well, then you get the media responsibilities. So it's like how, how the great managers in, this, in the games right now are great communicators. It's always been like that. Um, but I feel like there were, there were teachers before. And now, you know, they teach the game. Don't get me wrong, but, Communication has really been the key of being like a great manager because, quite frankly, the, the front office feeds you a lot of the things. 
that you're doing too. Well, you Joe, know, Tori was the best at that. You know, I coached three years with Joe, and uh, I learned a lot from Joe. And one of the most important thing I learned from he had a meeting with the players. So let me tell you what: take a day off the days you're not playing, but don't take a day off the day you're playing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I used to make up the lineup. Me and Manley used to get together, make up the lineup. When Joe came in, he says, "What we got for today?" You know, looked at matchups, looked at this, looked at that. And he said, well, Manny's not playing today. I said, what's my with him? He said, well, he called me. He didn't feel right. Didn't feel right. So instead of Joe playing him and he played half ass, he said, okay, sit him down. Yeah. Maybe he was later for pinch hitter. But, but Joe was a master dealing with personalities and understanding people and everything. And that's why he was so successful, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's the biggest part of the game, you know. And, um, you know, if you've got some, you know, Latin background, you know, like Cora, being able to communicate and bring kind of both sides together, Latin players, English-speaking players. Obviously now there's, there's the Japanese players, Asian players, but um, I think that's become a huge part of this game. And and the other part is too, like the communication I'm talking about is also being able to communicate what the nerds or the analysts kind of like up in the room are putting on a piece of paper and being able to talk, you know talk to your players and try to take something out of it and speak their language of what they what it means and how it can help you, right? Because that's 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 such a big part of the game, and I feel like that middleman. You've got this info. You got the players. Well, who the hell is communicating that info to these players so they understand it and don't get lost in it? So it's that's that's a huge part of it now too. So what do you think about some of these new rules? We talked about the second base situation, but uh, yeah, I think the pitch clock is great. I'm sure you agree with that, yeah. right? Yeah, I do. And, and it was funny when they brought that pitch clock in, everybody sort of was like, you know, why are they changing the game? I'm like, they're not changing the game. They're bringing it back. The people right. of the last five or 10 years changed the game. You know, like it, it's ridiculous. Like even in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, like we played long games because it was the Yankees. But for the most part, we're playing these types of games right here, 245, 250, get off the field. What are we doing? So yeah. um, I, I think it's great. Um, I, I, the base, big bases, I don't even know if that, I never even noticed it. I have no idea what the reasoning was. I don't know if that was that much of a difference in stealing bases or not, maybe safety at first. But, you know, the yeah. the, the first base, the, the disengagements, being able to step off, that kind of, you know, um, would maybe waste people would try to figure that one out. So I, I didn't mind it at all. I thought it was good for the game. And now yeah. I think it's time to kind of settle in at this. And hopefully within two or three years, you won't even notice a pitch clock. Maybe you don't even need it because everybody's in the habit. Yeah, well, you took a lot of dead space out of the game, and I think it's great. But uh, yeah. I think throwing the first base, we have two. It definitely helps a base runner. But what it does, too, is many times I was sitting there watching a game scouting or even when I was coaching, and a pitcher would throw the first base with a catcher at first base, hadn't stolen base in 10 years, yeah. and he throws over there two or three times. I'm saying, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Because some pitchers, just, you know, they you know, kind of like freak out on the mound, don't know where they are, and all of a sudden, boom, they throw the first. Yeah. So I think that, too, Max – you know, three years of penalty if you don't pick them off. But, but I think that's a good rule. Uh, what other rules do you think, they should, you know, could be good for the game? Well, I think the, the biggest one, and, and I don't know where I'm at with it, is this whole umpire thing, right? <clears throat> Being able yeah. to have challenges and robot umpires. Um, to me, I think that would probably be advantage. It, it's just my opinion. I think it's advantage hitter because I think pitchers try to live off the corners and I think they can, you know, they can get those pitches. Um, but the robot umps, like, I, I, I don't know how I feel about it. Like not having that, you have know, that guy back there. I like, I think I like the challenge system, but then again, if you only get three 
Again, you know that. I mean, how many guys do you know when the leadoff hitter thinks his at-bat's the most important bat in the world? It would use up all the challenges during his one at-bat, right? So it's like, I, I don't know how you decide who gets to use the challenges or not. But well, I think the umpire is the next big one coming at some point. Yeah, I'm not in favor of that. But you know what? I talked to an umpire supervisor. Yeah. Yeah, actually, an umpire, too. You know, Ron Cobo was on one day. Yep. I think the biggest reason they're going to do it is because of gamblers. Yet the umpire has been getting death threats. They know where they all live. And, you know, a guy's betting on the game, and all of a sudden the guy makes a bad call behind the whole plate. Yeah. They want to kill the guy. Yeah. But, I mean, that that's the biggest reason. But I saw it down in the minor leagues. I've been watching the last couple of years. And, you know, the one where the umpire calls a game and that player or the hitter or the pitcher can challenge by hitting the top of his hat. He challenged the pitch. But yeah. I remember I saw a game one time, a leadoff hitter, I think his second pitch, he's challenging. I said, what the hell are you doing? You only get so many a game. Yeah. I mean, that was stupid. But. I think that would that would work better than having every pitch call by the robot robot or whatever it is, and uh, I, I'm sure it's going to come. I don't think it's perfected yet. Um, they say you know strike zone is different, but the problem the umpires have is that that uh, the thing on TV that strike zone is a little bit off of what the real strike zone is because the angle. Yeah, I mean you must know about that as, as an analyst and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they and they also, you know, they put the report cards out daily, right, after every single mm-hmm. game. So it's like they just – they're putting them out in front of everybody. And it's funny because, like, oh, this guy had a bad game. He was at 91%. Yeah. You know, and, and you sort of sit there and say, okay, what, what do you think you would be like behind home plate? Now, the catcher knows what's coming. But the umpire doesn't know if it's going to be 97, 98 from Otani or 91-mile-an-hour split that moves in the last five feet. You know, like, it's, it's like 91%. Uh, I get it. Listen, I sit there too, and I'm like, oh my God, you missed that. You know, how could you miss it? And, and I just say that as a reaction, of, as a fan. But at the same point, realizing, like, good Lord, like, <laughs> this stuff is outstanding right now. The velocity, the movement, you name it. And to criticize a guy because he missed something by two inches, uh, I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. What about the catcher down on one knee? How do you like that? You know, it's funny. It's, um, I, I, I wasn't a fan of it at all, especially with guys on third base. I've talked to Tech about it before, Jason Veritek, and I almost feel like if, if he's on board, then I'm on board just because I've never questioned catchers. But I do hear a lot of things about blocking and how you're already down, and if you do it properly, that the people that don't block from one knee just basically aren't blocking the ball well, just like guys who weren't able to do it on, on you know, with both knees up in the air but or, or in a squat position. But they do feel that like that back foot can be planted so you can catch and just come straight line a second and throw off of it. You can be a little bit quicker, but as they point out, this is an analytics thing, you know, 70% of the balls, you know, you catch, you know, whatever it is, or somebody balls in play falls in the dirt. And it's like, if you can steal that OO pitch because you're down there and get that low strike or whatever it may be, then it's, it's worth it. I just, I have a hard time seeing a guy on one knee laying a ball with a man yeah. on third. And that's how the kind of how they teach it, right? They just say the catchers have the best hands in the game. And if the ball's in the dirt, you should be able to pick it. And it's like, well, the risk reward, you know, how do we weight certain circumstances in the game and whether that risk is worth it? And with a man on third, especially two outs, to me, it's just not. Well, first of all, I don't buy that pitch framing. Yeah. I don't think that, uh, I think that's bogus. Uh, somebody come up with that. I think it started with the twins or whatever, but, uh, yeah, one of the best catching instructions the Twins ever had. He doesn't believe in that one knee stuff either. But uh, I've seen a lot of balls getting by the catcher that should be blocked. Yeah. I mean, the catcher's job is to call the game, block balls, throw runners out. <clears throat> and at pitch framing, 
I just don't, I mean, talking umpires, when a guy jerks the ball in, you know, Ken Kaiser, you're still playing when he was umpiring. I mean, if when a, a catcher did that with him, he'd knock him into the dugout. That's all they do now, though, too, Shane. I know. It's all from yeah. everywhere. It's not just down. It's side to side. It's the, the, the theory is if you bring the ball to the middle, it makes it harder for the umpire to judge. So I'm like, you're just pissing off the umpire. I know. But the umpire's call where it goes over to play or doesn't go over to play. It doesn't call it where the catcher ends up bringing it to. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you might trick an umpire now and then, but I think a catcher could take it out of the strike zone but not really bring it back into the strike zone. It'll be a strike. I mean, a lot of times he'll swat at it, you know, like a backhand. Yep. You know, right, a catcher backhand into the right hand his batter's box and takes it out of the strike zone. But I just, you know, I've seen a lot of games in my, in my life, and I just don't think an umpire, and talking to him, they agree, if a guy pulls it in, almost like, you know, I know as a coach, you know, you can't from the dugout yell, if it's high or low, you can say it was high, it wasn't low, what it, but now you can say it was outside because you saw the catcher pull it in. If it wasn't outside, he wouldn't pull it in. So, I mean, not that you can umpire from this uh, dugout, but I just think that, you know, trying to trick the umpire, which you're trying to do, I think is a bogus step. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's, you know, we, we laugh at that, like, especially me and my kid's 14. I see a kid who's 12 catch a ball, like, you know, at the umpire's head and bring it down in the middle of the plate. And we're like, we laugh. We're like, hey, nice frame, right? That's what you do in new sports. And they do that at the big league level. Maybe not that drastic, but they have to bring, they bring everything to the center. And I was like, man, and I remember I, I, I did talk to some umpires about it this year, caught them in the alleys before games, and, and they hate it. They don't yeah. like it at all, you know, because basically you're trying to trick them. You're trying to make them look bad. Exactly. Right? And it's dangerous for the umpire. Umpires get smoked more than, than ever because the guy's low, yep. and sometimes they can't even catch certain pitches. I mean, one umpire had a mask on a fastball right you know, over the plate, but high, and the catch couldn't get to it. So you get smoked. And uh, I don't know. I mean – I know they have techniques. I know they researched all this stuff for the analytics and everything. But the real catching guys that I talked to, or veteran guys, said, "No, I would never yeah. do that." Yeah. Well, I know they they brought up the point where you get a better line to second base. But my son's a catcher, and I'm total opposite of what they're teaching out there with the one knee, the working ground up, the trying to snatch strikes. Um, our thoughts are we we try to have him catch as deep as possible, so the umpire gets as good a look as he can. Um, and I tell me you do not, you catch as deep as possible for the second reason. It's a better transfer to your throwing shoulder as opposed to reaching out and bringing it back. And then, um, I haven't talked to a hockey goalie coach. I said, why, why don't you have your guys play goalie on one knee? He goes, cause they can't catch it. They can't block it. And I was like, end of story. Um, you know, for, for that type of stuff, but what are they going to do when robot, um, the robotic umpires come in? Right. They won't be strikes anymore. Right. And you know, one thing too, generation of catchers will be gone. Yeah, and one thing you noticed this year, too, we did, too, because I think the Red Sox had the record in the American League, but the catcher interference calls. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the, yeah. the low to high, you know, uh, the, they would just they'd start the glove back in their body and they would bring it way up and out. And the Red Sox, I mean, I had, I saw three catcher interferences in one game. Wow. You know, and I was like, I've, I mean, I'll see three in a year. And I think they had like nine. I think actually, I think it was two catcher interference in in two games that were in like two or three days of each other. That's what it was. And I couldn't get over it. So I started talking to people about it. And they're like, yeah, you know, they've got that low to high kind of bringing it up and out. And and that's creating like getting in that swing path. Um, Because people would always go out there and stick it. But I feel like now it's almost momentum is carrying their arms too far. Yeah. So yes. I had to ask me one time as a hitter, uh, this was, uh, as a college hitter and honest to God, and I, I, statute of limitations is up now, but I moved back an inch or two in the box. I strided backwards. I took that son of a bitch's glove right off. 
that wasn't happening again. Smart. I like it. One rule I like to see change is that uh, in the rule book, double or ground rule double, they call it now. And we were playing at Fenway. You might have been on the Red Sox at that time. And uh, it was like Raul Ibanez is the play. Man at first, 3-2, two, two outs. He smokes on the right center field. They bounce over the right field wall, which, you know, is a long ways away. Yep. The runner was already on third when the ball bounced over the wall, but he had to stay at third because you only get two bases on the double. Yeah. I think it should be umpire's judgment, especially in that 3-2, two, two out count, you know, where the runner goes. I mean, I think that, you know, it crosses a run. And uh, I just think – I think that rule is bad. <clears throat> yeah, and I think that kind of – that kind of could fall into some common sense, right? Like you said, like, you know, man's on first. If he's not moving on the pitch and you had a deep fly to right center at Fenway Park, like, you know, if he's not moving on the pitch, depending on the runner, the umpire could sit there and say, well, maybe there would have been a play at the plate. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I could have relayed that ball in. But if he's stealing on the pitch and, you know, he's approaching second base and the ball's kind of like in the air and he's approaching third base when outfield's picking it up, I mean, that's, a, that's an RBI. That's a run. That guy's getting in there easy. You know, so I agree. And, you know, then some people countered that. It was like, oh, we, we don't want the umpires to have any more discretion. They already have enough. And it's yeah. like, no, well, you you need – as everybody knows, they watch that play. And every time it happens, you say, well, it costs so-and-so to run, to run there, whatever team it is. It's, I mean, it's really obvious it should be, you know, let the guys score. But I know they, I heard the same thing that shouldn't put too much on the umpires. But that's just another judgment they have to make. But it's really not difficult. I mean, if it's questionable, no, he stays a third. But if it's obvious he's going to score – if it doesn't, you know, just hits the top of the fence that it goes over, then, you know, it should be a run. It should be a run. You know, one but, thing, too, with me is that the replays, like, um, you know, I'm in the booth, you know, so, like, something happens, they're going to challenge it. They show me the replay. I look at him like, yeah, he's going to be safe. You know, two minutes later, you know, and they've been better with it, kind of speeding it up. But I don't understand, and it's what it goes for all sports, but, like, it's – if you're going to have instant replay, like, I don't know who you are to determine which play could change the game. Everything – should be replayed if if necessary. Everything. You only get one or two a game because there's certain things up at the plate. You can't replay a check swing. You can't replay a hit-by-pitch or whichever may it be or, or certain things that you can't instant replay. And you're like, who's to say that didn't just change the game? Now, hopefully right. we could be quicker at it, but if you're only allowed one or two, like if you're allowed 10 of them, we have to limit it. But if you're only allowed one or two, then let the manager determine – which play he thinks might change the game and allow him to challenge it. And there's restrictions on that. I don't understand why. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of tune-up that's got to be done, I think. I mean, it's pretty good now. But, yeah, I hate it when the guy strides into second base, he pops off the base by about two inches. I hate that one. Yeah, it's stupid. That's how the guy's safe. The guy beats the ball, he's safe, okay? Yeah. Once he's safe, he should be safe unless he – Definitely goes way off the base or something like that, but that that's not baseball. You know what I'm saying? No, like if he sli- overslides the base and he's in left field and he's crawling back to it, yeah, like that's, that's one thing. But the pop up slide for that half millisecond when his toe is off the bag and we kept the tag on him—that is the most ridiculous out call in baseball right now. Yeah, in my opinion, I agree. Yeah, not real baseball. No, oh, I hate it. I hate no. it. But. No. We're, we're closing out in an hour with, with Lou Shape. We kept Lou for an hour. I've got, I do have an audience question for you. I got uh, one of our podcast hosts. I let him know you were on today. Yep. I think you guys spent a little bit of special time down there at Red Sox Fantasy Camp. <laughs> First, he said, Shafe, he said, this is, he said, tell Shafe that Frito's pissed. You keep, you're one week ahead of him on all the guests he's trying to get. So you, you got Nomar last week. You got Lou this week. So he's officially pissed at you right now. So I'm tell sure him money, he, money works. 
I'm sure you'll sleep well tonight, gotta, right? You can be mad. You got to pay something. Money is all about money. You yeah. don't, you're afraid to spend money. You're going to lose. But Frito, Frito enjoys the uh, the red ass roll. Like no, yeah. so that's just that's a, he, he's actually embraces it. He loves yeah. it. He put <laughs> LOL at the end of it. And I said, guys, don't text each other. LOL. Stop doing that. Yeah. But Dave, I went to the fantasy camp. Just interject something, and I'm watching it. You got Maloney and Fry managing yeah. one team. Oh I boy. Saw, oh, these guys got no chance. But anyway, <laughs> they had guys. They had guys. I watched like I went in and guys had the campers were pitching. Yeah. One out of six pitch were a strike. I said, I can't watch this anymore. But you guys did a good job anyway. Yeah, we had fun. I was I was excited to be with him actually for the week because he yeah. it was his first time doing it. And you could see that day one, he's asking me a lot of questions. Like, okay, what do we do? What's the schedule? What's this? What's that? Yeah. So I try to fill him in. But by day two or three, like he was into it, you know, hanging out with the players and talking to these guys, and, you know, uh, during games. And, and it's a great experience. I think he had a really good time. I love doing it. And it, was, it was nice to do it with him. I had a really nice time with him. He yeah. did he had a lot of a lot of uh, fun doing. He was texting me throughout. Yeah. You appeared in a couple of his videos, though, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a few snapping videos, um, kind of you know teaching teaching the game about how you need to your first movement should be drop the barrel down to your knee and bring your head way back and lose all your balance. So that's that's <laughs> how people are teaching hitting, I guess, right now. That's it, and that's a great way to lose your glove as a catcher, right? Drop that back in. <laughs> yeah, it's full circle. But, yeah. Uh, well, Shape, any last questions for Lulu? Great job. We appreciate all the. The info you yeah. gave our audience today. Well, Luke has a great perspective. I mean, uh, you know, being an analyst, but he's an analyst because he's a baseball guy. <clears throat> and like we said before, <clears throat> excuse me, a good analyst will explain the game to the people. The people watching the game don't know too much about the game, but your job is to educate them on mm-hmm. how the game should be played. And, you know, say thing when a guy does something good and when he does something bad, uh, bad <clears throat> excuse me, also, you know, point that out. But, you know, people watch the game need to be educated. And I think a lot of people watch it, they're, I think they really like you because you tell them what should be done and how it should be done. And it did, they did it. They didn't do it. Yeah. And it's, I think also sometimes it's like, I, you know, I have to bite my tongue sometimes, but you can't bullshit the listener. I mean, the viewer either, you know, no. I mean, they're playing bad. They're playing bad. And, and I hear it a lot. They're playing bad. It's like, well, the effort's still there. And it's like, well, Jesus, that's, yeah. I mean, we're going to praise effort and particularly players. So it's like, there's ways to talk about it. There's ways to talk about the disappointment um, about how they're playing things like that. And there's other ways obviously to get into it. So I think I try to find that fine line. I think people kind of appreciate just being honest. I think that's yeah. all they really want. It's like players, you know? Well, it's a tough game to play, as you know, as a player. Yeah. That's why, you know, you're yeah. really effective because you realize how tough it really is to play. Yeah. But when they lose concentration and don't anticipate the play, that's when, you know, problems happen. Yeah. Yeah. I'll sure tell you is. what I like that you do, Lou, and I hope you keep continue to do it, but I love listening to you because very few people, when they're, doing color or analyst work on the games. They tell you what's going on. I can see what's going on. You do a great job as telling why. And and I hope you continue to do that. That's what sets you apart. One of the things that does one of the many things. So uh, keep up the good work. With thanks, Dave. I appreciate that. And thanks, Shafe. Always a good time, well, man. I appreciate your time and uh, look forward to seeing you again somewhere. Probably be on TV. Yeah, well, I'll be down. You still down? You're going to be down in Florida the whole time? Or where are you going? Yeah, I live here. They're taking me out of here in a box. I'm not leaving. Florida. Uh, well, I get down there... Uh, the 19th for 10 days, come home for two weeks, and then go back for 10 days down to Fort Myers. So I'll be there. Right, we'll you. get together one day when you come down. Sounds Just good. Give me, a, give me a holly. All right, Shane. Well, thanks for thanks thanks your time. Yeah, you got it. Hang on with us for post-show here. Just want to thank our audience, 65,000 and growing. We appreciate your support. Appreciate getting nominated for the Sports Podcast Group Baseball Podcast of the Year and the Webby's Baseball Podcast of the Year. Thank you to Millions for handling our 
our influx of advertisers. We appreciate your support in the marketing arena. And, and Shafe, great show again today. We appreciate what you do. Episode 432 here in the books, Touch Them All with Bob Schaefer and Lou Maloney. Thanks, guys. Uh, you got it, Dave.